Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the Word. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm really happy you're here. For those of you, uh, once again, listening or joining us online, I just want to personally say thank you. Thank you for joining us. You might not have heard, uh, we are in the midst of a summer series, uh, a sermon series called The Church in Motion. And we're really trying to answer the question of what would it look like for us as a community and as individuals to be joining Jesus on his mission to make disciples of the nations and to glorify his Father in heaven. What would that look like for us, Life Source Church, and for us as individuals as a part of Life Source Church? What he's doing here in the greater Worcester area and beyond. We've been trying to answer that question by looking through the book of Acts, to look at the early Christian movement, to try and get an idea of how they started out and then how they continued to gain momentum, so much momentum to that 2,000 years later, the Christian movement is alive and strong and people are coming to know Jesus. We want to be a part of that and we want to continue to gain momentum in that so that when we stand before the Lord, we can be excited about what he did through us, making disciples and glorifying his Father in heaven. So, last week, we actually for the last two weeks, as a matter of fact, we looked at the conversion of Saul to where he became Paul. And last week, when we were looking at that, what we realized is that right off the bat, when Saul became a Christian, he started out with a surrendered heart to the Lord. And because of that, it came in the expression of a question, Lord, what do you want me to do? And we realized that that question is a question every one of us should be asking. We should ask big picture, what does God want us to do with our lives? And then we should also ask individually, as a uh, moment by moment, specific areas, decisions, we should invite the Lord to lead us. And we should have a heart that's surrendered to say, God, whatever you want, I'll do it, no matter the cost, because you're good. I trust you. You've taken care of the biggest issues I've ever had to worry about. You've taken care of life and death. My life is yours. This week, we're actually going to transition. We're going to look at another apostle, the apostle Peter. And we're going to look at his life. And to introduce where Peter's at in our story, I just want to have a moment of confession before you. Don't worry, nothing, nothing big. I just want to let you know, I struggle sometimes to understand what the Bible says. Now, overall, I, I would say the entire message, the entirety of the Bible, I believe as long as you will use basic reading and uh, skills, basic uh, rules of grammar as you read the Bible, the Bible's very understandable. But I have to be honest, there's times when I'm reading, I might understand the whole basic message of a book, I might understand the basic message of a chapter or sometimes a paragraph, but there's just this one spot as I'm reading that I kind of just am left scratching my head going, God, what does that mean? I don't know about you, if, if any of you have been there, uh, maybe some of you are saying, Jeff, most of the time when I read the Bible, I kind of scratch my head trying to figure out what it means. Well, I want to encourage you, we're going to look at the life of Peter, and in the moment that we're going to look at, he is in the midst of a moment where he is left kind of scratching his head going, God, what do you mean? So to do that, I'll let you turn to the passage we're going to be at. We're going to Acts chapter 10. We're in page 1265, if you're going to look in the Pew Bibles. Acts chapter 10. And to kind of catch you up on where we're at, the last week we were uh, looking at the Apostle Paul as he became a Christian, 
And what happens just after that is Paul ends up going to Damascus. Well, actually, he's in Damascus when he meets Ananias and uh, gets baptized. And then almost immediately, he goes to the places that he was going to round up Christians. And he goes there and he starts meeting with the Jews that are there. And he starts sharing with them from the scriptures that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. The very Messiah, the one that he thought was a false Messiah to the Jews, he actually goes there and proves to them from the scriptures that he was wrong, that Jesus was the Messiah. And what ends up happening is while he's in Damascus, he ends up being persecuted in the place that he went to persecute. Is that not a beautiful picture of irony? Wow, I just love the Bible because the Bible is real and there's real moments of irony. Here is the man going to Damascus. He's about to persecute the Christians that are there and he becomes a Christian on the way and he gets persecuted. It's kind of funny. Anyways, so Luke stops the account basically at the moment of Paul's persecution as Paul is fleeing his life in Damascus. Uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, transitions back to the life of Peter. And what we end up finding is this is actually about 10 years after the point of Pentecost. This is about 10 years that the Christian movement has started, that the church has been birthed in the moment of Pentecost. And now the church is spreading. And here is Peter 10 years later, and he's moving along the Mediterranean coastline of Israel, sharing the gospel with the Jews that live along the Mediterranean coastline of Israel. And he's there, and we have a count of some of the people he witnesses to. He's there, and we have a count of, um, of, of, uh, of, some of, the, uh, of some of the healings that happen to testify to the power of Jesus Christ and the message that Jesus is the Messiah, risen from the dead. And then what we end up happening, what we end up happening is we end up coming to Acts chapter 10. We end up coming where, where Peter is in, uh, is in a town called Joppa, right along the coastline. And he is staying at a person's house Um, And while he's there, um, we end up having this moment that I was telling you about where Peter's going to end up hearing from the Lord. And um, he's going to be, he's going to end up after it kind of scratching his head wondering what in the world does that mean. So let's look at that passage together real quick. We're going to start in verse 9. We're going to jump up to verse 9 in chapter 10. And it says this. Now he's in Joppa. Verse 8 tells us that that's where he is. So the next day, as they went on their journey, they drew near the city, and Peter went up to the housetop of a house to pray. It's about the sixth hour. It's about noon. And then he became very hungry, and he wanted to eat. So apparently, he goes and he tells the people that he's with, or the people that are staying at the house, that he wanted something to eat. So they start preparing it. And so while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open. Now remember, this is Peter who who saw heaven open at Jesus' baptism, who saw heaven open and Jesus transfigure on the mount, on, um, I forget what mountain it is, honestly, but he saw him on one of the mountaintops in Jerusalem. And, um, and so when he saw heaven open, he would know that he is hearing from the Lord right now. He's about to hear from the Lord. And this is what, this is what we see happen. As he saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him, And let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Now, let's pause for a minute and let's just get an understanding of what in the world is going on here. For some of us, 
we might at this point go, what's the big deal? Well, remember, Peter was a Jew. Um, Jews, uh, especially back at this time, Peter was uh, practicing the Old Testament law. And so because of that, there were certain foods that he could eat, certain foods that he could not eat. The foods he could eat were called kosher foods. Foods he could not eat are non-kosher foods. So here is Peter, a practicing Jew, and also a believer in Jesus the Messiah. Here he is, getting a vision from God, and the problem with this is this is like, this is like he's hungry, remember? This is like a buffet coming down from heaven for him. It's like a smorgasbord. We're talking Golden Corral stuff, right? So in the midst of this moment, here he is, anything is on this. I mean, all types of animals, including not just kosher food, but non-kosher food. And what is the message that he gets from God? Peter, kill whatever you want and eat it. Peter goes, no way, I'll not do that. And what we have to understand is, see, for a Jew to eat non-kosher food, they had all of these stipulations from the Old Testament, all the, and, and, and some beyond the Old Testament, but basic idea is that if he was to eat this food, he would no longer be able he would be considered unclean. And what that meant was that he couldn't go to the temple and make sacrifices. He actually really couldn't even be around other Jews. And so his ability to go to the synagogue, his ability to do what he was in Joppa to do, which was to preach the gospel to the Jews that were there to let them know that Jesus was the Messiah, that was, that was jeopardized if he was to eat food that was not kosher. And so Peter says, no, 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 I am not going to do that. No, I can't do that because then I would be unclean. I have never touched an uncommon food. To be honest, Peter probably thought uncommon food was gross. And so it probably would have turned his stomach a little bit at the prospect of eating uncommon food, unkosher food. Notice what the Lord says. Verse 15, and a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. And the reason why is if it's done, it was done three times, it means two times later, Peter said, uh-uh, I will not eat this. No, I won't. And God says, no, 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 don't call common what God has cleansed. I won't eat it, God. It's uncommon. Peter, don't call common what God has cleansed. And the, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself, see, there's that moment, right? If we were left in that, all, we, all of us would probably be kind of doing the same thing, going, what was that all about? Peter is left totally confused. I mean, his, his worldview of how life operates and how he interacts even with God and his fellow people is being turned upside down. He's confused. And while he wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men that had been sent from Cornelius, we'll, we'll talk about him in a minute, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, Go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So, so here is Peter, confused about what he just heard from God. And the Spirit says to him, you've got men that are coming to find you. They're coming from a Gentile. 
We'll talk more about that in a minute. Don't wonder what I'm saying. Don't worry. Don't doubt. Just go. And so Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I'm he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? Verse 22. And they said, Cornelius the centurion. Cornelius uh, lived in Caesarea, which was another town further north um, in uh, Israel. And in Caesarea, he was a centurion, which means he was the, um, the leader of a Roman occupation troop in that city. Remember, Israel at the time is under occupation of Rome. And so in each of these major cities, there was troops that basically uh, provided a Roman presence, if you will. And this man is the leader of that Roman troop, those soldiers in that city. And remember, if we know anything about what the Jews thought about Romans at that time, especially Roman soldiers, they were, they were anything but viewed favorably. Notice what it says next. He is a just man, one who fears God. That means this man actually, even though he was a Roman, grown up a Gentile, he actually had turned from the Roman pantheon. He was not worshiping the many gods that Rome worshipped. He had turned to the one true God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. And he was worshiping that God. Now, here's the thing, though. What that meant was he is a God-fearer is what they would have called him. He fears God. He's a God-fearer was the title that Jews would have given a Gentile who worships Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. Even though he was worshiping God of the, Old, the God of the Old Testament, he was, not, he was not a Jew. And the reason why is he did not go through the Jewish ceremonial rites to be made a Jew. So he didn't get baptized as a Jew. He didn't get circumcised, and I don't blame him as a Jew. And so because of that, from the Jews' perspective... He was, although he worshipped the same God they worshipped, he was not part of their community. He was not part of the true people of God. He worshipped the God that they worshipped. He worshipped the God of the true people of God. But he was not a Jew. He was not in. If I could say it that way, he wasn't in. So what he did, this is how a God-fearer worshipped God. What they did is they would, they would be able to go um, and do some things with the synagogue. They would pray and they would do almsgiving. It means they, they would give. They would give to the synagogue. They would give to causes for uh, the God of the Jews. They would give cause, uh, to the cause of Yahweh and whatever his mission was. And so that's how he would have worshipped God. So listen, it goes on. Verse 22. One who fears God and has a good reputation, listen to this, a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. So this man was viewed well to the Jewish people. And he was divinely, this is interesting, he was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. So then Peter invited them in and lodged them, and the next day Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. So now we've got a packed house. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Don't knock Cornelius for this yet. We'll talk about this in a minute. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, you know how unlawful 
This is according to the Old Testament law, how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. See, here's the thing. Remember, he was told, go there and don't question it. And so Peter went. Now, Peter's trying to get an idea of what in the world this vision from God meant. And I think at some point on the way, he's starting to make some connections. He's not all the way there, though. And so at this point, it seems pretty clear from this next statement we're going to read that he had made at least this connection, which was, God told me food is food. It's not kosher food and non-kosher food, it's food. Somehow, God told me food is food. And then, in the midst of that, people representing a Gentile come and tell me that I'm supposed to go to his house, and the vision tells me, go and don't doubt anything. So wait a minute. Food is food. Are people people? Look at this. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Wait a minute, I thought the vision was about food. God said, don't call food anything that I've called clean, common. But actually, God didn't say don't call food. He just said, don't call anything I've said clean, uncommon. And so Paul gets there, or Peter rather, gets there, and he sees this, and he says, wait, wait, wait. God has shown me through this vision, and the, and the moment, the circumstances, as it's, as it's playing out, that food is food, and people are people. But there's more. So, verse 28, so, or sorry, verse 29, therefore, I came without objection as soon as I went, was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He's recounting his vision, which was in the beginning part of chapter 10. I prayed, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, verse 31, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms, remember he gives to the synagogue and to the cause of the Jewish people, are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we... Everybody here are present, are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And it must have been right there, right there that the connection was finally made. Food is food. People are people. Is Jesus the Messiah of all people? Remember, Acts beginning of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, God, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you shall be my witnesses. You shall be witnesses to me in all Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And for the last 10 years, the apostles have been doing what they thought was um, honoring this commission by Jesus. And so Peter is on the coastline of Israel meeting the Jews there, and he is planning, I know, with the other Jews to eventually spread out to go, or the other Christians rather, to go and to reach the rest of the Jews spread out to all the parts of the earth. 
But God has intervened and said, no, 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 no. Don't call common what I have said is clean. Food is food. People are people. And wait a minute. Maybe another thought pops into his head. I remember Jesus saying something. John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, he says, And I, if I am lifted up, speaking of the cross, when he dies on the cross, from the earth, will draw all peoples, all peoples, plural, to myself. Not the Jews, but all peoples. Yes, food is food. People are people. And Jesus is the Messiah of all people. And so, notice what Peter says next. As he's gotten this, he's made this, this has come clear in his mind. He says, so then Peter opened his mouth and said, I, in truth, this is like, this is the truth. I perceive this to be the truth, that God shows no partiality, that there's not a special people, the Jews anymore, and non-Jews. God is the savior of all people. And he says, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Translation, Cornelius. Cornelius was a man who wanted to know the true God of the Bible. For whatever reason, he had not become a Jew yet. Maybe it was for the reasons of his employment that he could not become a Jew. We don't know. But what we do know is that he was pursuing the Lord. And what we also know from the scriptures very clearly is that when Jesus was lifted up, he drew all peoples to himself. And so it was not that Cornelius was pursuing God, although he was, but it was also that God was drawing him to himself. And so here is Peter realizing this and saying, what God has said is clean, is clean. People are people, and Jesus is the Messiah of all people. And this man, Cornelius, wants to know the God, the true God. But here's the problem. He's never heard that Jesus is his Messiah his savior. He's worshiping the God of the Bible, but he doesn't have a personal relationship with God yet through Jesus. He needs to hear the message so he can believe. And so, Peter goes on in verse 36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, the Jews, preaching peace with God through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Judea, Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, now how God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging him on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, but not to all people, but to, to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is God who was ordained by that it was he who rather was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead to him all the prophets witnessed that through his name whoever believes in him whoever believes people are people they need Jesus and whoever believes in Jesus will receive remission that's the penalties removed of sins so while peter was still speaking these words the holy spirit 
fell upon all those who heard Cornelius and everybody in the house, all these Gentiles. Now, it's so important that we understand what's going on here. I didn't tell you. You know, when, G- when, pa- when Peter says it's unlawful for me to go into the house of a Gentile, you know what that would have been like for a Jew to go in the house of a Gentile? You know how I was saying how gross it was for a Jew to eat the uh, an unkosher food? Well, the same thing is true for him to be in the presence of a Gentile. It was one thing to do business with a Gentile in an open place, but to go into the house where a Gentile lived was, hmm, how to say this? Let's think about this for a minute. It would be kind of like, Chrissy, don't get mad. It would be kind of like going into, you know, you're going to go over to somebody's house, and I'm saying, Chrissy, don't get mad because I'm going to talk about cats for a minute. Um, you're going into a person's house. I love cats, don't get me wrong. Um, but you, you say, you know, you're with somebody's friend, and you're with, you're, your friend says, let's go over to my parents. I want you to meet my parents, and I want you to have coffee with them. We're going to have some cinnamon buns together, and we're going to talk. So as you pull up to this person's house, you hear this faint noise in the background. And you're kind of like, that's weird. Where is that coming from? You get out of the car, and you slowly move up to the house, and the noise gets louder and louder and louder. And what you realize is it's not just one noise, but it's a, it's a symphony, if you will, of noises. And what you realize is this house is likely full of cats, and as you walk in, you see not just a few cats, and that's fine, but hundreds of cats. And the problem with the fact that there's hundreds of cats is there's kitty litter, not just in boxes anymore, but it's in the corners of the houses and kind of on the the seats, you know, like you look over at the couch that she said you were going to sit down and have uh, cinnamon rolls on, and you see kitty litter on the couch, and you see cats moving along it, and you see that the kitty litter's used. And then you look into the kitchen, because it's an open floor plan, and you look into the kitchen, and you see that the countertop has those cinnamon buns that she said you were going to eat, and nobody would notice but that there's kitty litter on the counter next to the cinnamon buns, and oh my goodness, what you do is you get in there, and you're kind of contemplating running. But she's so sweet, and she says, sit down, let's have coffee and cinnamon buns. That's gross. (laughs) That's gross. That would kind of be what it's like. It would have been a social taboo of taboos for a Jewish man to go into a Gentile's home because who knows what kind of stuff happens in there. (laughs) It's gross. And Peter obeys God. And what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on people. The Gentiles. The people that would have been unclean. The place that God would never be. He falls on them. And do you know what Peter says? He gets it. He says, and those of the circumcision. That means the people he was with, remember, they were Jewish Christians believing in the Jewish Messiah in their mind. They believe who had, they, or those of the circumcision who believed, and these other Christians were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's presence, God's holy presence was in what they thought was unclean people. People are people, and Jesus is the Messiah of all people, and so the Holy Spirit has fallen on them. And because of this, It says the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, and when they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, proving that the presence of the Spirit was in them, then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water? Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we, meaning the Jews, 
Remember Acts 2, have. So Peter gets it. He says, wait a minute. I thought that in order to become a Christian, you had to become a Jew because the Jews were the people that God had been working on for centuries and had made his people in them special and that those were the only people who were ready to hear the gospel. But what Peter understood was that people are people and Jesus is the Messiah of all people and when the Holy Spirit fell on him, it was so clear that all people are clean before God and that all people who believe in his name can become Christians. And you see what Peter really had struggled with was believing this and why he needed this vision and needed these circumstances to come about was because Peter struggled to believe that there was people God was drawing that he would have never expected would become Christians. God was drawing people. He was preparing people whom he thought were not ready to hear the gospel. He was drawing them to himself. And so because of that, because of that, Peter needed to believe that in order to realize God not only was drawing people whom he didn't expect to become Christians, but that he was preparing Peter and that man for Peter to go and share the message of Jesus with him. God was preparing Peter personally to go. So Peter needed to go. But Peter struggled with something. You know what this was thing that he struggled with beyond that? He struggled with two other things. He struggled not only um, did God prepare people uh, who he wouldn't have expected to become a Christian, like a Gentile, but that he actually was being given the opportunity to have a relationship with that man so that he could share the gospel with him. And that God, in the same way, you and I are struggling with something very similar, and that is this, that we ourselves struggle to believe that there are actually people in our lives that we would never expect our Christian would, would become Christians, God is drawing them, and God is preparing them to hear the message. And we struggle even more with the fact that we think that because God is preparing people, even though we're not sure we were struggling with that, let alone this, that actually the relationships that are in our lives are actually, we are in relationships with our family members, with our friends, with our coworkers, with general acquaintances and random people we meet, on, in our lives because every man has been, has been given a genuine opportunity, has been given rather an opportunity to hear the message, believe and become disciples of Jesus. And we are in their lives for them to have that opportunity. See, like Peter who struggled to believe that God was preparing people for him to reach, we also struggle to believe that God is preparing us, you and me, He's preparing people for us to reach. But here's the thing. Like Peter, we have to go and we have to tell them. You might be saying, okay, I'm not really sure about that. Well, let me give you two quick passages to kind of wrap your mind around this. Peter, Romans chapter 10. Paul pens these words. He says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how shall they believe? That's how they get saved. It's assumed in the second sentence. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Cornelius knew of the God of the Old Testament. He knew of the Jewish God and he was worshiping him. But he had not heard that Jesus was the Messiah. And so because of that, how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. Now you might be saying, well, that's easy. Jeff, you just do that and we'll be good. But uh, what, those are missionaries, right? But the context of Romans chapter 10 is not that. The context of Romans chapter 10 is general people. The word preach means tell. It means proclaim. It's telling others about the Lord. 
And so here, let's go on for a minute. You might be saying, okay, I, I get that. So God is preparing people. And here's the thing. God was preparing Cornelius, right? And if Peter didn't go, who's to say Cornelius would have ever heard the message? If you understand Acts, when we read Acts, this actually becomes the pivotal moment when he's going to go in Acts chapter 11 and he's going to leave um, uh, Caesarea and he's going to go back to Jerusalem. He's going to talk to the leaders in Jerusalem. He's going to tell them, listen, the, the Holy Spirit has fallen on the Gentiles. God is saving Gentiles. They don't even have to become Jews. And they end up responding going, oh my goodness, we need to go share the message with the Gentiles. And that becomes the launching pad for the mission to go out to the ends of the earth. And Paul and Barnabas end up being the ones sent to start that mission. But Peter was the one who first went to an entire house of Gentiles and shared the gospel with the Gentiles and God saved them. And here's the thing. If Peter never went, who's to say Cornelius ever would have believed and gotten saved? And you and I. 2,000 years later, might not be Christians. See, Peter struggled to believe that God was preparing people he wouldn't have expected to become Christians, and he needed to go and tell them. And we struggle with that, too. And here's the thing. You might be saying, okay, so you're telling me i got to go preach the gospel. Yes, I do. I am. But Peter also struggled with this, that there's relationships in our lives where we are actually to go and to tell them. We actually have relationships. Every one of our relationships is an opportunity either for us to share the gospel with them, for them to have a genuine opportunity to know Christ and to get saved and become disciples, or there are disciples and we get to encourage them in their growth and they get to encourage us. That's what it's about. And you might be saying, I'm not quite there. Prove it. Okay, Acts chapter 17. Let's look at this real quick. Acts chapter 17, later on, Paul is going to say this. He said, God has, who made the world, he has made from one blood every nation of men two, uh, and he has made every nation of, I, I should have gotten rid of the two there and just gone dot, 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 and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, a boundary of their dwellings, so that they should, here's the key, so that they should seek the Lord. So he's not far from each one of us, but he commands right now all men everywhere to uh, repent. What did it say? It says he's appointed their pre-appointed times, and he's appointed their dwellings. That means that God knew and God established the very time that you and I live in, and the very time that every person on the planet right now is living, and the very places and the very relationships that they have, the very places they work, the very people they interact with, including you and me. Why? So that they could draw near to God because he's not far from them. He commands all men everywhere to repent. Jesus is drawing people, preparing people to hear the message. And he has said, you and I are the ones to go and to share it. So you might be saying, okay, I'm here. I think I got that, but, I, but, 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 but what are you saying? Well, how do I do that? Well, I want to encourage you. Let's start fresh this week. Let's start fresh this week. Why don't, we, why, don't, why don't you try this prayer? I, just, I think it's just a, just a, it's a simple prayer and some derivation of this. I'm going to have you repeat it after, um, I sh after I say it. And if you will just kind of memorize these two concepts, even generally speaking, and I would encourage you to start tomorrow saying, okay, I know the relationships I have, my work relationships, family, family friends, I have them because God is drawing people whom I might not be expecting to be ready to hear. And I'm going to share with them if I have the opportunity because maybe they're ready. So you say something like this. Repeat this after me. God, I believe you. God, I believe you. 
People are in my life who are right now ready to hear. Say, people are in my life who are ready to hear. Thank you. It's always hard to get people at the end of a sermon to do this. I believe you. I'm in their lives to tell them about you. And so I would encourage you to start tomorrow, tomorrow morning, and say something like that. God, I believe you. There are people in my life who are ready to hear, and they're in my life because I am supposed to tell them about you. And open your heart to be expectant. Not in some weird way in the midst of your conversations. Not like in the middle of your sales debrief and you're saying in the midst of your sales debrief, hey, did you know Jesus is the Messiah? Like, not in some weird way, but like in a real, in the midst of conversations, God, is this person ready? And let this thought kind of boil up to your mind, which is, since they might be ready to hear, I should take the opportunity to tell them. Since they might be ready to hear, I should take the opportunity to tell them. Because here's the truth. If you don't remember, remember anything else, please remember this. Like Peter, we need to believe this, that God is preparing people for us to reach. But we must go and tell them. Because we're talking life and death stuff here. If you don't tell them, they might never hear. That's pretty serious. But if you take the opportunity, if you really believe God, could you imagine how many people might believe because you believe this and take the opportunity to tell them? Could you imagine the kind of revival that might spread out across the greater Worcester area if a church our size believed that God is preparing people to hear the message and we must go and tell them? Revival could spread from here across the state and beyond. How awesome would that, build, would that be? So let's, let's believe like Peter. Let's believe that there are people God is preparing for us to reach. And let's go and tell them. Since they might be ready to hear, let's take the opportunity to tell them. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much. Thank you so much for the, this record of this event recorded in the book of Acts and how inspiring it is for us, how challenging it is for us, how it communicates, how your plan is to use people like us in our time and in our place because there's people like us who need Jesus. People are people and people need Jesus and we want to be used by you. So God, I pray that you would inspire us, that you would strengthen us, that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit God, maybe bring this to our mind as we're in the midst of our normal week, in the midst of the relationships that have been established in our lives, that we would just let this thought pop into our head. Since they might be ready to hear, I think I'm going to take the opportunity to tell them. And God, would you use that however you see fit for your glory to make disciples, I pray in Jesus' name.